0: Good morning everyone. My name is Miles Trump and I attend Resurrection City Church with my wife Lisa and our two daughters Naomi and Maya. And Lisa and I also serve as members of our pastoral care team. Today I'm going to read from Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus.:
1: Today we're going to look at how Jesus's birth was unexpected for one of the people in the story, and that person is Joseph. Uh, As Joel said last year, we actually talked through a little bit more of Mary's perspective on the whole thing. We looked at the song that she sings as she rejoices over Jesus, uh, and in general, I feel like... At Christmas time we hear a lot about Mary, we think a lot about her, we talk a lot about her, there's a lot more real estate in scripture kind of talking about her experience, which is totally fine, but today we want to look at Joseph. We want to see how uh, his response to Jesus coming into the world is something that we can learn from as well. So one of the big things that you see with Joseph is that Jesus coming into the world puts him at a bit of a crossroads in life. It gives him some big decisions that he has to make. And so I'm wondering if any of you have experienced something like that before. I'd love for you to share in the comments. Maybe you had a big decision you had to make that kind of changed the trajectory of your life, whether that was moving to a new city or um, going back to school, changing careers, getting married, starting a family, Anything that you felt like was a big moment in your life that kind of changed things for you. It was a big crossroads and a decision you had to make. So as a way to continue to build that community online and connect with one another, if you have an answer to that question, I'd love for you to share it in the comments. I know for me, uh, a big when I look back and I think any kind of big turning points in my life, The decision to go to the University of Minnesota, I think, was actually a big crossroads in my life uh, because I think about everything that has changed for me since that. Uh, I moved to a new city. It was the first time being away from my parents for a long period of time. I met a lot of really great people, and it was really the first time that I encountered Jesus in a way that made sense to me and really changed things for me. It really clicked. And so when I think about a moment that really kind of set me off in a different direction, I think my choice to go to the University of Minnesota is a huge one. I probably wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be still living in the Twin Cities, probably wouldn't be talking to all of you if I hadn't uh, made that choice to come to Minnesota. So I'd love to hear what, what kind of things in your life maybe were big crossroads types of decisions for you. And today we're gonna look at a moment like that in Joseph's life, a moment where he had the choice to kind of go one way or the other way, uh, and the choice that he makes really sets him off on a different direction in life, and what, we're, what we can learn from him. So I'm gonna look through, we're gonna read through this passage uh, about Joseph, and I'm just gonna make some observations about things we see from his response, and then we're gonna talk about what we can learn from him and how he reacts. So, we're gonna look at Matthew 1, 18 and 19 first. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but because they, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, so let's talk about something quickly here. The idea of engagement and marriage was very, very different in Joseph and Mary's time than it is now. So I think sometimes we'll read these passages or hear these passages at Christmas, and you hear things like, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, or she was betrothed to Joseph. And you might think, what exactly does that mean? Were they engaged in the way that we think about it? Uh, And the answer is not quite. So I'm going to give you just a quick explanation of kind of how it all went down in the time that they were living in. So engagement was the first step, and that was hap- would happen when the bride and groom were really young, like really young, and it was often arranged by the parents. So there was no big proposal. Um, it was usually something that the parents actually decided for their children. And then the next stage is the betrothal. So that's probably where Mary and Joseph are when Mary finds out that she's pregnant. And this is, uh, it makes the engagement legal and binding. But during this time, they're not like completely married. They're not together uh, in the same way that we would think about marriage. And when you're betrothed, it's this interesting mix because it's official, but it's uh, not quite happening yet. And the only way to break it is actually through divorce. And then marriage, the last step, is this took place after the wedding. So this is when they actually go live together, start their family, and kind of go on their own. So Mary and Joseph are kind of in this in-between of what we would typically consider engagement and marriage. Because the, bi- the um, arrangement that they have and the relationship that they have is legally binding. And that's why Joseph here is talking about divorce. We might think, you know, you don't divorce someone when you're engaged, you just break off the engagement. But for them, engagement or betrothal, this betrothal period, was actually legally binding. So if Joseph wanted to end this, uh, you know, future marriage, he had to legally divorce Mary. And so because he was a good guy, um, his plan was to go ahead and divorce her, but do it quietly. Because during this middle time, it was, they weren't living together yet. It would have been very clear to everybody uh, that Mary had been unfaithful in some way. But the truth is during this middle stage, Mary shows up to Joseph and says, Hey, I'm pregnant. And from our best knowledge, she doesn't try to explain this to him. She doesn't tell him, Hey, I'm pregnant by the Holy spirit. And I'm going to have this baby, uh, that's going to be God's child. And honestly, it makes sense, right? Because if Mary had done that, what's the chance that Joseph would have actually believed her anyways, he probably would have thought she was crazy. So, Joseph makes the logical assumption that Mary had been unfaithful, and he decides to go about divorcing her quietly, which was the normal legal uh, next step. That would have been very normal. No one would have batted an eye. They would have thought, yep, that's what you should do. That's your next step. But, uh, just in case things weren't unexpected enough for him, right? This is not how he planned his marriage to go, I'm sure. I'm sure he was disappointed. And then things get even more unexpected. Things get a little weird. So we're gonna look at verses 20 and 21. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So whenever I read these Christmas narratives, I try really hard to put myself in the shoes of Joseph and Mary. So I try to think about, like, these two are just teenagers. (laughs) They don't know what they're doing. They've never done this before. And here, if I were Joseph, this is absolutely not what I would have expected. The message itself sounds crazy, just the words. But then think about the fact that an angel of the Lord showed up to him in a dream to tell him this. I'm sure that Joseph thought he was losing his mind at some points. But when he, f- he has this dream, he finds out that Mary didn't actually, uh, she wasn't unfaithful, but she's going to give birth to a guy who will save the people from their sins. This is really, really big news, and it makes Joseph rethink his decision to divorce Mary. Mary. As he considers his his options, he has to realize that this is going to be a huge life altering crossroads type of decision. He has to decide, am I going to continue on in the step that everybody thinks is the next right step to divorce Mary quietly, to go on to be, you know, have my parents set up another marriage for me, a different one who has less complications? Or am I going to follow the words of God that I got through this message from him? Am I gonna move forward with what God is calling me to do and trust that Jesus really is going to be the savior of all people and that this message is true? So we're gonna look at, like I said, we're gonna look at three observations about how Joseph responds to this big crossroads type of decision in his life. And the first thing that we see pretty clearly is that an encounter with Jesus demands a response. Encountering him for Joseph, Jesus isn't even out of the womb yet, and he's still having this encounter with Jesus that demands a response from him and really puts him at a crossroads that he has to make this decision. Joseph could have totally, uh, he could have totally continued on in his plan to divorce Mary quietly. But he continues to uh, reflect on the Lord's message, and he decides to marry this woman that everyone around them would have thought was completely shameful and completely um, wrong—the wrong next step. He continues on, and he does this because this is what Jesus is. This is how Jesus demands a response. This is the way that when God shows up, it really causes you to ask the question: Am I going to follow God, or am I not going to? and this would have made Joseph's life very difficult. There are a lot of things that would not be easy about this. And not only that, but in in God's message, he's making it clear that this is going to be difficult, and it's not going to be the the way you expected your life to be. One small thing that is included in this message is that the angel tells Joseph, you're going to name your baby Jesus. And that seems really small to us, right? Okay, you know, maybe they would have liked to choose a name, but It's not that big of a deal. But in Joseph's time, it would have been a really big deal because choosing to name your baby was something that the father of the family, it was a right that only the father had because this was a patriarchal society that they lived in. So choosing a name for your kid was kind of a way to show that you were in charge of the family. It was a way to kind of show your status as a father and to show that you were in control of what was going to happen. But in this, already, God is telling Joseph, look, this baby is not someone you're gonna be able to control. In fact, it's gonna be the opposite way around. This baby is going to demand things from you and ask you to respond to him in ways that's gonna really challenge you and make you think about how you can follow and obey God. So Joseph has a choice. He can choose to believe that this child really will be the long-awaited Messiah, and the one who will take away the sins of the people, he can choose to follow God, or he can choose to walk away and continue on in the life that he had planned, the life that would probably be easier for him um, and definitely be more accepted by his friends and family. And every one of us, when we encounter Jesus now, we have a similar uh, crossroads type of decision to make. We can choose to follow Jesus, to understand that that may change our life in unexpected ways that we're not uh, planning for. And we can choose to deny ourselves and give up some of our own control over our life to follow him. Or we can choose to walk away and continue on in our own plans on our own path. And if we do choose that Jesus is the Messiah, it'll change everything for us. Believing in Jesus, it's not just like a, you know, a box to check or a yeah, I have this intellectual belief. I assent to that. I agree. Sure. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say that that's something I believe in. It's never just about that. It's always about choosing to follow him with our whole life. I love this analogy that Tim Keller uses in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says, whenever you see Jesus acting in the gospels, you see him putting people into motion. He's like a giant billiard ball. Wherever he goes, he breaks up old patterns and sends people off in new directions. And I love that imagery because if you've ever watched somebody, um, oh, I should have looked up what it's called, when they like break the, the little triangle balls in the beginning with the billiard ball, it really does, the balls shoot off in all sorts of different directions. I clearly don't play pool enough and when I do try to do that I've often like jumped the billiard ball off the table so not the right person to do this but if you've seen someone do it correctly you know what I'm talking about that ball interacts with all of the other ones and sends them off in totally different directions and when we encounter Jesus and we choose to follow him that's what happens with us Jesus may send us off in a direction Uh, move us and change us so that we are choosing to follow and obey him in different ways, that it will be unexpected. He might send us off in in a way that we never would have thought we would ever choose for ourselves before meeting him. And if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he's the savior of the world, the king of kings, the light of the world, then we would be crazy not to center our whole lives on him. There's nothing we can choose to keep for ourselves because there's nothing we would want to keep for ourselves. Jesus gave everything for us, and if we really believe that, then as a response we should be willing to follow him and give everything for him. But if he isn't that, if you're, you know, if you feel like you're at that crossroads, if you feel like you're not sure am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to walk away? If you really don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah or if people don't believe that, then it would be crazy for them to follow him, right? Jesus makes some pretty big claims that he's the savior of the world, that he's conquered sin and death. And if you don't believe that, then you'd probably be offended that you would, someone would even suggest you need saving. It's not something that makes a lot of sense unless you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It would probably make more sense to run away from him if you didn't believe him, if you didn't understand and choose to follow him in that way. And that's why I don't understand when people say things like, oh yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. I just don't really follow him. Like it's fine. I don't, you know, whatever he can be, whoever he is, or he can be the savior of the world, but I just don't really, you know, it doesn't do much for me. It's not changing my everyday uh, interactions or my everyday life because that doesn't make sense. If, Jesus really is the savior of the world, then we should be willing to follow him with everything we have. And if he's not, then you should probably be running away from him because this is not something that makes sense if you don't believe that. And so anytime we encounter Jesus, it puts us at a crossroads. It demands a response from us to choose to follow him and to obey him the way that Joseph does or to walk away. And as we see, Jesus, Jesus, wow, Joseph, too many J names. Joseph chooses to respond. He chooses to follow God, uh, to make him the whole center of his life and to let God send him off in different directions that he didn't expect. And this is actually gonna have really big ramifications for his life. It'll damage his reputation and totally change his relationships and his standing with his community. So that's where my second observation comes in. This is going to be hard. (laughs) When we follow Jesus, people won't always understand what we're doing. Joseph's friends and family probably thought he was a total chump, right? His uh, betrothed, whoever he's betrothed to, Mary, shows up and she's pregnant. So they either thought, okay, either you guys uh, consummated this marriage early, which is very shameful in the community, or Mary cheated on you. So why would you wanna be with her? They would have thought he was crazy. I mean, we think it's crazy now when people choose to stay with people who have been unfaithful, but it would have been way more crazy for people back then. They lived in an honor and shame mentality. So anything you did either brought honor to you and to your community or shame to you and to everyone around you. So even if it was just a choice that Mary made that, or if they thought that Mary had made some choice that was shameful, it would have brought shame on Joseph and therefore all of the people around Mary and Joseph. Or the other option that sounds equally as crazy and makes Joseph sound equally as much like a chump is that Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit And again, at this point, Holy Spirit was not like a common concept. It wasn't something that they like thought about or understood as a way of God interacting with people. And that Joseph had an angel of the Lord show up to him in a dream to confirm that. Either way, he sounds like he's lost it. And so again, as I try to put myself in Joseph's shoes, a teenager, I think about how isolating that must have been for him. How lonely, how hard it would have been to be so misunderstood by everyone around him. But Joseph chooses to deny himself and he's willing to let his life be totally altered by God. If you keep reading in Matthew in chapter two, we're gonna get into this a little bit next week, you see that obeying God in this instance for Joseph, it's not just a um, damage to his reputation, but it also puts him in physical danger as well. We're gonna read a little bit next week about Herod, uh, the king at the time who wanted to kill Jesus and actually causes all of them to flee so that they can um, keep their life. And so this is a really big thing for Joseph and for the rest of his life moving forward, which teaches us something. It shows us that in order to follow Christ, we're going to have to be brave. People will not understand our decisions and our life choices. Our lives might not always end up looking the way that we want them to. And if you think back to that billiard ball example, (laughs) encountering Jesus and truly choosing to follow him may send you off in a direction that you yourself didn't see coming and the other people around you definitely don't understand. As Jesus grew older and started his ministry, he understood this. Uh, There's a a passage in Luke uh, chapter 14 where he talks about this. He kind of talks about how living the normal everyday life that everyone else was expected to live isn't going to work when you're following Jesus. In Luke 14, 25 through 27, he says, "'If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, "'wife and children, brothers and sisters, "'yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And I think this teaching often raises some eyebrows, right? Um, Hate mother and father. People say, well, aren't we supposed to honor them? Isn't that what scripture says? Doesn't this seem a little bit extreme? Um, But I think that Jesus is talking more about how we relate to him. He's asking, does your life revolve completely around your family or around yourself and what you want? Because if that's the case, then you'll never be able to fully follow Jesus. You'll just end up looking like everyone else around you. But in following Jesus, we're not called to look like everyone else around us. We're called to look like Christ. We're, try- we're called to try to be more and more like him in our everyday life. And the more I celebrate Christmas, uh, and every year, the more I kind of dig into some of these passages, the more and more I see that Jesus coming to earth isn't about the traditional way we celebrate with family and, you know, Christmas movies and everything else. Not that those things are bad. They're great things. But the true reason that Jesus came, it's about the sacrificial love that Jesus shows. Jesus sacrifices everything for people. Anybody, including the least of these, the lowest in society, the most shameful. And he's here to bring about a new kingdom, an unexpected kingdom. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer talks about this phenomenon as it relates to Christmas. He says, some Christians ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle class Christian home and making nice middle class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice middle class Christian ways and who leave the marginalized of the community, Christian and non-Christian, to get on the best that they can. And that's not how it's supposed to be. He goes on to say that the, the real Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others and not just their own friends in whatever way their seems need. This is what we're called to. (laughs) We're called to live like Christ, loving sacrificially and being willing to let our lives be directed by Jesus, even if that means sacrificing our own desires or our own plans. We have to be okay with the unexpected and we have to be okay with the fact that people won't always understand if we choose to live and follow Christ in a way that will honor him. And these are hard things to think about. Uh, It's hard to want to give up control of your life. It's hard to feel different or misunderstood. Feeling misunderstood is probably one of my least favorite feelings. Uh, It's just something I really struggle with. But God can work in big ways when we follow Him and when we aim to be more like Him and show His sacrificial love. So I just wanted to throw out some examples of ways that this might play out in our own lives. There are things that people might not understand. Like choosing to stay in a neighborhood that had major riots this summer, even though all of your family and friends keep telling you that you need to get out and need to find another place. But you want to stay because you want to be a committed presence to the neighborhood and to show people love. Or maybe people won't understand that you're choosing to not use all of the money that you saved in 2020 if you saved any uh, to plan a big huge trip in 2021 because you're just so excited to get out but instead you're choosing actually to give a large portion of that money away for the need and benefit of others people might not understand if you choose to befriend the awkward guy at work that nobody really likes and all of your coworkers talk about behind his back. Or people might not choose or might not understand if you choose to wait to move in with your uh, significant other until you're married. I could go on and on. There are a lot of things that the Christian life uh, seems counterintuitive to the rest of the world. There are things that people aren't gonna understand and that might feel really hard for us to continue to live in and move forward in. But I hope that this is actually Um, when you feel that way, when you feel misunderstood, I hope it's actually comforting to you. Because I think in so many ways, it shows us that we are choosing to follow Jesus, that we're choosing to uh, try to live more like him in our lives. It means in some ways that we might be doing it right. I'm not saying every time you feel misunderstood, that means you're doing something right. But in certain cases, if it's something that you're trying to follow Christ and everyone around you is looking at you like you're crazy, it might that might actually be an encouragement to you in fact you know if you never experienced this if you've never felt like living life as a Christian has caused people to not understand you or has been difficult at times I actually want to challenge you a little bit that uh, you might be falling into some of that middle-class Christian nice thing that J.I. Packer was talking about And I have to challenge myself in this too. It's really easy to get comfortable and to live uh, just like everyone else around you. But like I've been saying, the decision to follow Jesus actually should really challenge us. It should put us at crossroads sometimes, should make us make decisions that feel uncomfortable or that don't look like the world around us. And if all of this sounds really unappealing to you and you're like why am i doing this stick with me (laughs) because even though following jesus is going to be difficult at times and people might not understand it's all worth it because of the joy that comes with god being with us so our last observation is that god is with us during this time you might be thinking it sounds like a lot of work to center my whole life on jesus it sounds like it's going to be hard i'd rather stick to my original (laughs) plans But something totally crazy happens when Jesus is born. Our God is with us. He came and he lived on earth. He went through all the things that we go through and then he gave us his spirit to always be with us. Verses 22 and 23 of the passage we've been reading today, says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you've been a Christian for a while, this might not be all that exciting or shocking to you anymore, but truly, it should be. When we look at the Old Testament and we look at how people interacted with God in that time before Jesus, it was vastly different than our experience today. There was a sacrificial system, priests who were only able to go into the place where God was at certain times of the year or after certain rituals. And it was not only a lot more difficult to interact with God, but was also more frightening. If you look back in Exodus 20, which is kind of the place where um, the Israelites are given the Ten Commandments, you might kind of have some memory of that, um, the people aren't excited to interact with God. They're actually terrified. (laughs) In Exodus 20, in verse 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And even Moses, who does get to interact with God, he doesn't get to interact with him fully in the way that he would like. If you move forward in the book of Exodus, you actually see that Moses says to God, hey, I want to see your glory, show it to me. And God's like, okay, but this is gonna have to be a little different than what you expected. (laughs) Instead of showing up and showing him his glory in the full way, he walks by and allows Moses to just see a glimpse of his back as he passes by. Just a glimpse of God's back was almost too much for a human being to experience. That's crazy (laughs) because when we look at Christmas, God comes close to us. He comes all the way here to live with us, to be one of us he's fully seen, fully available, fully human, and fully God. This is totally crazy. Moses and anyone from the Old Testament probably would have lost their minds if they heard about this. Can you just imagine Moses? I kind of wonder if he would have been like that kid in a family where he's the oldest, and when all the younger siblings start to get things a lot sooner, like hey, he got a smartphone when he was 10. I had to wait till I was in college to get a phone that had texting or whatever it is. I think he would have been like that. He would—he wanted so badly to be in God's presence and he got a glimpse of God. But in the incarnation, we get God fully human, fully God, living fully with us. And now through the Holy Spirit, we still have full access to God through Jesus. No mediator, mediators aside from God himself, No veils, no sacrifice, aside from the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. We forget how lucky we have it. How truly incredible it is that God is with us. Do you remember the movie Hitch? Um, I don't know if anyone else has seen it. It was a rom-com a while back. had Will Smith in it. But if you've never seen it, it's this comedy about this guy who's supposed to be a, a date doctor. And this other guy comes to him and he's kind of trying to explain to this guy how to, be, uh, how to go on dates better, how to be, you know, better at it. And they're talking about first kisses and Hitch, Will Smith's character, has this rule where he says, it's a 90-10 rule. You go 90% and then you let her come 10%. That's his rule. So you lean 90% in of the way and then you wait for the other 10%. But in the incarnation, God comes 100% of the way. He doesn't do the 90-10 thing. He doesn't wait for us to have a response. He comes 100% of the way. God does all of the work to come and be close to us and to be with us. We gain all of the benefits of having God with us. He's with us when we face big crossroad types of decisions. He's with us when we feel misunderstood or people around us don't uh, are judgmental of the decisions we're making as we're trying to follow Christ. That's the message of Christmas, <laughs> that God came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us 100% of the way. So as we wrap up the message from today, the question I wanna ask you is, how are you gonna spend time in God's presence today and this Christmas season? And you might be thinking, Julie, you just told me that God comes 100% of the way. So now why are you telling me that I have to do something? Isn't this a 100% not a 90-10 thing? It is. God came 100% of the way. But when someone comes all the way to you, you know, a friend drives to your house, a family drives to your house to visit you, they can be 100% of the way here and you can still choose to ignore them. You can choose to be distracted, you can choose to be on your phone, you can choose to schedule other things, even though they're 100% of the way here, it's your choice in how to interact with them while they're here. So that's what I want us to think about as we close today is how can we be close to God? How can we spend intentional time with him this Christmas season? Because like I said, Jesus and the incarnation, it demands a response from us. And sometimes those responses and those decisions are really difficult to make, but all of it is worth it because God is with us. I think what happens sometimes is we forget to take advantage of the fact that God is here with us. We don't spend time with him. We don't interact with him or spend time in his presence. And because of that, we kind of start to take it for granted. And then when it gets to those points where we have to make those hard decisions and we have to face feeling misunderstood by other people, it doesn't seem worth it. But when we spend time with God, when we remember what a gift it is, that God came 100% of the way to us, it makes it all worth it. (laughs) It brings joy, it brings peace. And so as we think about this holiday season, I think a lot of us have more extra time than we normally do. We don't have a million Christmas parties that we're running to. Um, We may be doing less shopping, or if we're doing more shopping, it's more online. So how can we use that extra time that we have this year to enjoy the gift of God's presence? What will it take? What will it look like for you to spend time with him in an intentional way this holiday season? So I'm gonna close us in, in prayer um, and reflect again on that sacrificial love that we see in Jesus. Uh, and then we are gonna head into a time of communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to us that you came 100% of the way to be with us because you love us and that you sent your son. Not, uh, you could have done it a bunch of different ways. You could have, you're omnipotent. You are all-knowing. You could have changed things. You could have done it in any way you saw fit. But you saw it fitting to come to earth, to be with us, and to have Jesus live a perfect life, to die on the cross for us, and then rise again. And Lord, we are so thankful for that gift this holiday season and the rest of the year. We pray that you would help us to respond to Jesus in a way uh, that is different this Christmas season, that we would choose to follow him and to surrender control over our own lives, to run the risk of being misunderstood, but to do it all because we know that you are with us and that it is worth it. In your name we pray. Amen.